0: As state and municipal leaders around New York grapple with the influx of asylum seekers, which comes with the responsibility to provide housing and meet other bare essentials, creating pathways to employment are seen as a critical source of relief both for governments of all levels and to serve as an opportunity for immigrant New Yorkers to begin their lives here in earnest. But despite federal and state efforts to smooth out the path toward legal employment, Politico New York reports that the bumps in the road remain plentiful and arduous. To discuss this landscape, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Caitlin Cordero, the education reporter at the Capitol for Politico New York. Welcome to the show, Caitlin.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: And also with us is Janaki Chadha, who is based in New York City, where she covers housing, real estate, and economic development for Politico New York. Welcome to the show, Janaki.
2: Hi, thanks for having me. Happy to be here.
0: So for starters, over the last year, we've heard a lot about work permits for asylum seekers and how they're the key to legal employment for asylum seekers. Generally speaking, what is the process of getting a, a work permit? For example, who issues them and what are some of the eligibility criteria?
1: So it's a very like complicated process. It depends on what status you come into the country with. So when you come in across the border, you will engage with the border patrol and immigration. So if you have temporary protected status, you will be able to fill out that application as well as your employment authorization documents together. You don't have to wait. but You need an immigration attorney to be able to do that successfully because it is a 13-page document that is in English and it's not translated into any other languages, and the questions are very detailed. Even if you do understand English or if it's translated, it's very difficult to understand. If you don't have TPS status and you're paroled in, you will have to fill out a 13-page asylum seeker application which again is similar to you know the difficulties for the TPS but then you also have to go through i believe it's a 150 day waiting period before you're allowed to apply for your ead or your employment authorization document once you apply that doesn't mean that you can work so even if you have tps you're kind of cutting the line but you're still waiting on the next line before you can get to work authorization. So once you fill out your EAD, you wait. If you are paroled in, you wait your 150 days after you successfully fill out your asylum seeker application. And then you have to wait to get approved. And there's backlogs. Right now, the federal government is saying that it's up to 30 days is on average, but that has varied. It could be some people have said it has taken years some attorneys have said that and others say that right now the government is fast tracking some of the asylum seeker applications so they're moving a little more quickly
2: one thing we found in reporting is it's there there are these different tracks and it's you know not the most intuitive process and people might not even know what they're eligible for if they are eligible for TPS for example So it's it's a like Caitlin said, you know, very complex process and very very difficult to go through without legal assistance.
1: In addition, if you fill out any of that information incorrectly, you have to start the process over, and you have a year to get all of this done before you can face deportation.
0: Well, given the challenges then of just filling out this paperwork, what sort of legal help is out there in New York State? From your reporting, does it seem like the vast majority of people who are trying to navigate this system are doing it with legal assistance or are a lot of people without that type of expert help?
2: So I think both the city and state and the federal government have been working to stand up resources, the city opened a, a help center, you know, to help people with these various applications over the summer. But the need is just so enormous that, you know, even as they've made progress and have been working to help people with applications, I think in our survey reported that uh, the governor had said there are 5,500 applications that have been submitted from New York. The city said there are more than 140,000 migrants have have come through the city's care since last year. So obviously 5,500 is, is a very small number kind of if if you're looking at all of the migrants that have come to New York. So they're definitely working, you know, to try to help people, but it's a fraction of of the people who need
1: and help. And to kind of put it into perspective, you have the American Immigration Lawyers Association says that there's 2000 immigration lawyers nationally. And then a fraction of those lawyers are capable of filling out this paperwork, because you may be an immigration lawyer, but a lot of them work private practice, or their specialty is filling out employment authorization documents, and they don't necessarily do the the asylum applications, or those are typically humanitarian attorneys, and a lot of that work is pro bono, so they're volunteering their time to do that work on top of the work that they do that brings in the money. So, You have a very small number of attorneys that are capable of doing this work. Even though the federal government has been stepping in and providing more legal services, there is still a limited amount of attorneys that can actually successfully help migrants get through this process. They can only take on so many cases.
2: Migrants will be here and be in shelters in the city for a really long time before they're actually connected to, to legal assistance. So one person uh, we interviewed, you know, got here in February and and just this fall was finally, you know, able to go to the city's help center and, and kind of get the process going. Even though, he you know, he, he's one of the people that that qualifies for TPS and has that sort of expedited status, still, you know, take, takes a really long time to kind of get people connected yeah. to, to legal help.
0: Well, Janaki, you mentioned a person who's in the shelter system, the housing situation for tens of thousands of people is not exactly stable. So how does the lack of stable housing impact this uh, application process, if at all?
1: yeah so that's
2: that's a big issue and a big concern among you know attorneys that, that work in this area advocates you know elected officials have have raised this that you know when you're in this process, there's so much paperwork there's so many you know deadlines and things when you don't have a stable address even even harder to navigate, there are more than sixty thousand people in in Migrants in city shelters. They, you know, the mayor has talked repeatedly about how, how much strain is on that system. Um, and so they've over the last few months have instituted these policies placing limits on on how long migrants can stay in shelters at a time. And so it's thirty or sixty days, depending on if you're a single person or, or a family. Um, and so what you see is people, you know, will be in a shelter for thirty days and then they'll you know, go back to the intake center and try to get another placement that might be 30 days it might be just one night here one night somewhere else and so people are you know kind of having to move around a lot which which just makes you know making appointments and, and getting mail and you know relevant to, to someone's application uh that much harder
0: Yeah, without a fixed address, how do people navigate this process? I think about my own challenges, just having stuff sent to my parents' house or my house, but people who are moving from shelters to spending one night here, 30 nights somewhere else. I mean, how are they even getting paperwork from federal officials? How are they getting in contact with lawyers? Do people have cell phones? What sort of the story you're hearing from people about how they're making communication work or are they just not making it work?
1: That is the big issue is that uh, for a lot of people, some some of the paperwork is getting lost. I know with talking to attorneys and doing these EAD clinics, that was the biggest problem is that they're missing a lot of paperwork when they're coming into the clinic. So some of it may be that they're they were robbed of all their belongings when they were trying to get here and or they you know lost some of the paperwork in the jungle these crazy journeys that they go through to get here Um, but then on top of that there is the issue of you know my mailing address I was there last month but I got kicked out so now I don't have access to that information Um, and so that is kind of the biggest the biggest thing with that you know some of the attorneys have been talking about is that that issue, and then also when they do these clinics, they have them for a certain amount of time, but then they're not their full term attorney. They can only provide them. They have to fill out paperwork that says, you know, I understand that you're only helping me for this paperwork in this point in time, but I'm not your attorney full time. So um, that's another challenge is the inconsistency. Uh, with their cases,
0: in addition to housing and legal services, are there other necessary services that people need to navigate this process? Whether it's language services, because you mentioned, I think this is an English application. So, is language a, a barrier? Are there other barriers that people are facing?
1: One of the groups that I um, that I spoke with uh, it's My Nice. Um, they work with individuals that were coming in. um, And initially their group was uh, to support people, do training to prepare them to enter the workforce, um, but they expanded their services. And one thing that they said they noticed is that people are coming here um, and they don't know they come from rural areas and they've never been in a major city before. So navigating the subway system to make sure that they get to their appointments on time, navigating the language barriers, um, you know, understanding the shelter system, even understanding that you can't gather in certain places after a certain time where you can go in the city where you can't go. Um, So it's on top of all of the legal barriers, there's also these cultural differences that they have to overcome when they come here. Um, and they have to, it's like they're getting kind of shell shock in every possible aspect.
2: Another piece that's important on um, the, the application front, just in terms of, you know, things that people are in need of, the applications are, are quite expensive just filing for for tps and uh the kind of accompanying work authorization it's more than five hundred dollars um so you know for someone who's who's not able to work legally and that's why they need this you know that that's a, a, a big challenge to to overcome um and you can get a waiver but but that's another um you know there's there's documentation associated with that you kind of have to prove you need it public benefits or all of these things and, and so it's it's obviously difficult um for, for people living in in shelters and, you know, obviously new uh, to to New York to sort of um, get all of that together.
0: And after a quick break, we'll continue our discussion about the process of securing work permits for asylum seekers in New York with our guests, Caitlin Cordero and Janaki Chadha of Politico, New York. For listeners just joining us, we're continuing our discussion about the long and arduous process asylum seekers have to go through in order to obtain a work permit from the federal government. And our guests are Caitlin Cordero and Janaki Chadha, reporters for Politico New York, who recently highlighted the obstacles to legal employment for asylum seekers. In reporting this story, did you find that the experience for asylum seekers in New York City is different than what asylum seekers elsewhere in New York are experiencing? Is there a benefit to being outside of the five boroughs or is it beneficial to be in New York City because that's where the specialized help primarily is? What sense, if any, did you come away with in terms of geographical challenges?
1: Asylum seekers that are upstate, I don't believe that they have the limits on their stay. So that is one of the differences. But they do not have as much access to all of the support services that are available in the city. So the operations in upstate are a little more scaled back than the operations in the city. But I do know that the state and the federal government are working, you know, to bring services to upstate. I know there was a TPS clinic in, um, I believe it was in Albany recently in which uh, immigration attorneys were working with asylum seekers to help them fill out their applications. So there are efforts to help the individuals that are in other parts of the state as well. But in New York City, it's, you know, such a massive group of people that there is a focus to put the services there because that's where the concentration is. In upstate, I did notice that um, some groups have donated bikes so that people can get to and from work because the location of a lot of these hotels is not near the central area or main city. So I know I had spoken to for a previous story, some migrants in uh, Newburgh, they were like, I think like five miles or so away from the places where they were able to get work. So they would have to bike back and forth, you know, before and after work. And this is doing, you know, construction work, working like 12 hour days, very hard work. So that's kind of a barrier that they have. They don't have that public transportation or the luxury of that.
0: So you talked about some of the efforts by state and federal government officials to alleviate this backlog, whether it's expediting applications, whether it's launching pop-up services to help people get their applications in. Does it seem to you like there's a future where these applications are processed quicker or people will have access to additional help? Or does it seem like the dynamic that we have now, which is people struggling to complete this process, people waiting months on end to get responses, uh, is the norm that people should expect for the foreseeable future?
2: Yeah, I mean, there there are certainly... I guess trying i the the city announced last week they're opening up additional sites uh for for legal help um the the federal government i think you know historically it's taken them a few months to process work uh work authorization applications um but they're saying they're trying to do them under 30 days now so there is kind of an an effort to sort of speed things up i think it's just kind of like the number of of people is is so great um that
0: You're going up against the currents, and they're knocking you back, basically. So on the other side of this equation, we've heard from the State Labor Commissioner, Roberta Reardon, about their effort to connect eligible asylum seekers to jobs. And she came on our air and touted the fact they've got hundreds of businesses lined up to help connect asylum seekers to tens of thousands of jobs. Is it your sense from your reporting that these connections are being made for asylum seekers who do have their work permits, are they able to find jobs? Are there employers that are actually willing to take them on?
1: In our reporting, I did speak with the commissioner. She noted that while they have 34,000 jobs that are available, they're working with, I believe it was 750 businesses, they have not been able to actually connect individuals with jobs yet because they have not found individuals that have their their work authorization yet Hmm. she said that they expect a wave to be coming in the next couple of weeks but in following up with them i haven't heard of you know that wave hit yet so they're still waiting but they said that they have been preparing so they've been working with the federal government and the city and the state in those clinics that they're doing they're then connecting them with the dol and they are preparing them with counselors so that when they do get their authorization, they can kind of take off running and get into the jobs. And they're providing extra services as well, taking into consideration, you know, jobs in upstate New York, how to transport people if they need living accommodations and things like that.
0: So Caitlin, you mentioned speaking with the labor commissioner, government officials in general, how responsive were they as you tried to report on this story? Because I found if there's not a good news story for government officials, they sometimes are less inclined to chat about things. So was that a difficult part of reporting on this story? Did you find that certain levels of government didn't want to talk about this because there's not a whole lot to be happy about and to trump it?
1: There was some difficulty with getting you know, some of the data that's more difficult to track. But I really didn't have too much trouble getting getting in contact with the commissioner. I had dealt with them for previous stories, looking at work authorization. So it wasn't too difficult to get them to talk about the issue.
0: And how about engaging with the real-life people who are impacted by this work permitting process? What was the sense you got from them in terms of the emotional toll that this has taken on them? And just what are their thoughts on what they've experienced so far?
1: Yeah, that that um, that was kind of the the toughest part of this reporting. Um, it was, you know, these, these are individuals that, uh, you know, when you're speaking to them, they've been through so much trauma um, just to get here. And a lot of times they're promised that, oh, once you get to the United States, like things are going to be good and they don't have an understanding of, you know, that once you get to the United States, it's a whole nother process that you have to go through. And it's going to be, you're not going to be able to just get there and work and earn money and make a living. Uh, you have to go through this whole entire new process. Um, so for for a lot of the individuals that I spoke with, they, there's a kind of a sense of feeling like worn down. And a lot of them were saying, you know, we we don't want to be reliant on the system. We don't want to be, you um, know, we're, we're not trying to ask for money or anything. We just want to work. I want to support my family. I didn't want to come here. I came here because I didn't have a choice uh, because of the turmoil, political turmoil or whatever it may be back at home um, and their home countries. So there's, there is was that sense of just, you know, desperation to to get started with their lives here, because really, they're just sitting kind of sitting ducks and waiting for their process to go through and they don't have some of them don't have a full understanding of the process because of the language barriers and I think you also
2: get a sense of just how um confusing this whole process can be that you know there's all of these you know it's kind of maze of different statuses and types of applications and different timelines attached to each of them. And also just knowing, you know, what exactly you qualify for, like do do I qualify for TPS covering a group of people who, you know, enter the country before a certain date, you know, does does that apply to me? Like all of this stuff is, is, um, you know, it's, it's a lot to navigate.
0: Well, finally, either through the course of your reporting or maybe as a result of feedback you've gotten since your story has gone up on this. And I have to encourage people to check out the reporting that you did on this issue, what they can find at politico.com. As part of that journey, have you figured out what the next story is in this vein? Is there something else that you'd like to explore or follow up? Or do you just want to check up on the progress of work permits, say sometime in the near future?
1: Yeah, I think definitely continuing to check on the progress is important in uh, yeah. seeing when the next wave of individuals comes in or the first wave, I guess, of individuals that gets their work authorization and how the state is able to move them to be independent of the system. I think that's kind of a key storyline to follow here. On TPS, you know, this kind of expedited um, process to to work
2: permits. You know, we reported that the federal government, you know, expanded that to Venezuelans back in September. Um, you know, there's been a push for expanding that status to people from other countries. So, you know, that that's something that we're we're watching for as well.
1: In addition, there's. 40% that qualify under TPS, of, uh, which is what the governor said, of the individuals in New York. We still have 60% that don't qualify under TPS and are still online to get their work authorization to be able to fill out their EAD application. So that is another aspect to this, is that it felt like, oh, such a push to get TPS for Venezuelans. But there is still another group that is out there that, and that is a majority, that does not qualify under that and has to go in a much longer process.
0: Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking with Politico New York's Caitlin Cordero and Janaki Chatha. Caitlin and Janaki, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it.
2: Thanks, Thanks for having us. Thank you. thank you.
0: Support for Capital Press Room provided by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. Communities across the Empire State have stories to tell. A roadside marker funded by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation can help your town or city educate the public, encourage pride of place, and promote local tourism. More about the Pomeroy Foundation's New York State Historic Marker Grant Program for 501c3 organizations, nonprofit academic institutions, and local, state, and federal government entities at WGPFoundation.org.